You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, uh, you've already heard me talk a handful of times today. I asked you to greet each other. I asked you to celebrate and pray for new members. And what a fun morning. You probably already had enough of me, but you're just getting a little bit more of me before the day is up. I'm sorry to impose myself upon you today uh, in so many you know, various ways, uh, but it's all with good intention because I love you. And, and I sincerely am grateful to be here with you today. Sincerely grateful. Uh, last week we were at Point, and that was fun. Point is, I feel like a bit of a second home, if that makes sense, because it was like the first place we gathered indoors. And so it has this very special place in my heart where it's like, I love Point. And if you ever uh, just want to serve Point in any way or something, Nick uh, Shock is the pastor of Point. And I would love for us to corporately do something for him. But if you ever just like want to jog onto, not jog, click onto their website, uh, and then from there find his email, or we could send it out just to send him a like, hey, we love you and we're thankful for you. Um, and so, yeah, but glad, grateful uh, to be back here this morning, and, and what a fun morning to be able to celebrate uh, new members in our church family and, uh, and, and really be able to celebrate and join together in that. And so we're excited to, for that celebration and also just excited to be continuing uh, on in the, the service, jumping into our time in the Word. And so we're going to continue on in our time in the Word, but what we're going to do is... Um, we're going to be opening up the Bible. We're going to be concluding our time uh, in the series Revision, right? When we started this a few weeks ago, it was really just about this idea. And so right now, picture that purple, you know, picture right there that says Revision. Uh, and it was really just developing the idea of how do we cultivate uh, a vision for our lives that is upheld and sustained and infused with the good news of Jesus, Right. We start the year every year, oftentimes building this image of ourselves, of who we want to be by the time 2022 ticks to its end. And really, when we're not careful, we start to build a vision of ourselves that either is not supported by Scripture or maybe, you know, more scarily, if that's a way to say it, uh, lacks any real substance at all. Right. We don't know how to answer the questions. Well, like, how are you going to get there? Who's going to help you get there? These are questions that are fundamental to what it means to actually fulfill those goals, but it can end up being a challenge to get there uh, if we're not sustained and equipped with what it means to really like, like create that vision from a biblical foundation. So that's what we've been talking about. And today we're going to close up uh, that time um, by thinking about the last thing we're going to talk about when it comes to our own vision for our lives, which is the hope of God, the hope of God. Right? Hope is a funny thing. Uh, it can be a spring of life when we feel its presence. Alternatively, when we feel its absence, we can feel a deep, deep darkness um, that is often extremely scary. And if you're anything like me, if you've had these experiences where you feel like hope is not with you, you feel the absence of hope, it can feel like that sense of hopelessness is inescapable. Right? It oftentimes doesn't just feel like the path forward. It feels like the ladder out of darkness. And when we don't feel it, we can feel a darkness and a pain that feels oftentimes inescapable. So hope is a funny thing. right? In, in a modern sense, if we're going to define hope in a modern way, um, it's a word that, that's meant to communicate a desire or, or an expected outcome, a feeling or expectation. Uh, so, so when we say, I hope, Right. Or when I say, let me say like this, I'll give you an example. When I say that I hope for the sake of my brother, Daniel Cooper, 
that the Rams win today, right? I'm, I'm expressing hope or anticipation that that thing is going to happen, right? That's the modern idea of hope. I'm feeling, I have a desire. Now, in the biblical sense, the idea is often a little bit different. It's more than to the idea of trust, right? Something I place my hope in. Uh, yeah, this, this may lead to a certain desire or an expectation, the traditional way, the modern way, I should say, we think about hope. But the desire in the biblical context isn't like rootless, right? It's not foundationless. Um, what do I mean? Well, let me give you an example. I'm going to be real honest with you, and this is hard because I'm like a, a pure Texan, right? I was born, uh, I was watching the night, A Knight's Tale the other day, and you know, at the very end, uh, when Paul Bethany is like, born a stone's throw from this very stadium. Uh, I was born a stone's throw from this very hotel, right? That type of idea. I'm a pure Texan, Austin born and bred, but I got to be real with you, I'm going to level with you. I have no idea about anything going on with the Rams or the National Football League, almost in general. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you, all right? Uh, the last I remember, Jared Goff was the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams. I think he's moved on since. Uh, after a quick Google search preparing the sermon, I learned that it was Matt Stafford, because I definitely wrote down Jared Goff. Um, and so I couldn't tell you at all. Hear me. Look, this is what I want you to see. I couldn't tell you at all why the Rams should win today. I could not tell you a lick whether the Rams' offense is better than the 49ers' defense. If the 49ers' offense is better than the Rams' defense, I couldn't tell you if special teams is going to play a part. I couldn't tell you who the coaches of these team teams are and whether they're going to play. I couldn't tell you a lick about this game today. All I know is that I want them and wish for them to win for the sake of Daniel Cooper. That's all I can tell you about that game today. But see, that's the modern idea of hope. I have no real foundation for my desire, no real foundation for my wish. I don't know why they should win or if they even will, but man, it's what I want. Now, on the other side of that, though, let me give an example for biblical hope. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday. She was four. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I cried several times, so don't get me started. I ain't even going to talk about the birthday itself. I'm talking about something else. Um, Right. Ooh, I wrote down some stuff here like my first child, the child that made I'm not skip past all that. Uh, we were excited yesterday as Leah, my daughter, turned four to celebrate her and to have a good time. And, and I knew I was hopeful. I was expectant that we were going to have an amazing day, that we were going to have a great time. Why? Why did I feel that way? Was it because we were going to be together? Yeah, that's true. Was it because Leah is an extraordinarily fun little girl? That's also true. Leah's very fun. She kind of guarantees a good time in a lot of ways. But you know why I knew more than anything we were going to have a good time yesterday? Because I know my wife. That's why I knew we were going to have a good time yesterday. I trust my wife. I know that she loves our daughter more than I can put into words in front of you right now. So I'm not going to try to. I know also that she's been longing to give my daughter a fun birthday because for the past two years in the pandemic, we haven't really got to do like a, a party with her family there and stuff like that. And, and I knew that out of that love for Leah, Rachel was not going to let the day pass by without it being a great day. I knew my wife was going to plan that she was going to wake up early, that she was look at me and be like, I need you to do this, this, and that, right? I, I do everything she could to make it a great day. I expected that outcome, 
based on my trust in something. In this instance, a person, my wife. And the cheers yesterday as Lee was sitting at the table going, best happy birthday ever. I think a good indication that she had a great time. She calls birthdays happy birthdays. And so she woke up in the morning and went, daddy, is it my happy birthday? And I was like, yes, it is your happy birthday. Right? Do you see the difference there at least? Now, I know that's not a perfect example. Hear me. Some of us have been let down by mother, by father by spouse, by sibling, by people in general. The point is not that someone always has to be the source of hope. I'm not saying that it has to be people, right? More so, what I'm actually saying, uh, I want you to just see the difference between these two types of hope. In fact, any person you place hope in is is going to let you down at some point in time because we're human. We're going to fall short, right? But the, the idea... Is seeing the difference in what it means to build expectation and desire out of a trust for someone. And really out of kind of just, yeah, it's what I hope happens. Because here's the thing is, as we build a vision for our lives, it can be tempting to build this vision for our lives on the modern understanding of hope. Right? That's, what, that's why I want you to understand those definitions. To build our, the vision we have for our lives on a desire, maybe even an expectation, but really an expectation desire without a foundation. Uh, we want to feel like we're making a difference in the world, right? But, but we don't necessarily know how we're going to do that or even what the world really needs. We desire to, to live a life full of love and affirmation, but have no idea where we're going to get that love and affirmation from, right? We desire to be better people, to live lives that are good examples to those around us, but we don't know how to change the struggles that we're having right now. We desire to be confident and self-assured, but don't know how we're going to get that uh, or what the future holds, and so our confidence becomes very shaken. We build these ideas without foundations. Then when it seems not to happen, even though we had no clear reason why we were hoping or desiring for those things or expecting those things in the first place, we become extraordinarily hurt. We become angry. We become bitter disappointed. It becomes similar to what Proverbs 13, 12 says when it says, hope delayed makes the heart sick. Right? That, that's often the experience we have with hope when we're building on this modern definition of hope. But what if there was something, or we're at a Christian church, so someone, uh, that, that we can place hope in that doesn't fail, right? That doesn't fall short, that, that speaks to the deepest parts of our hearts and declares, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to make that right. As followers of Jesus, friends, that, that's what we're invited to build the vision for our lives on, is, is that promise, that, that relationship. Uh, that, that's the hope that we're invited to share in. But oftentimes we just have to understand how to build on it. And so today, what I really want to do is just kind of give us a, a booster shot for our faith, if that makes sense. Right. Some of y'all, some of y'all, I just uh, I tapped someone on the shoulders a little earlier and they're like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, what? I got the booster. If we can do it for the Rona, we could do it for our faith. All right. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Revelation 21. Uh, what what uh, Eileen read just a second ago. Uh, and we're going to pull out four promises from these verses that, that we're going to take and we're going to understand and we're going to try to apply to our lives a little bit. And, and what I hope that does is that it functions as almost like a Kickstarter for hope in us today. Right, that those promises would function as a Kickstarter, as a, as a catalyst to our own hope. And if necessary, uh, that they would begin to replace or, or, or even start to build a foundation and, and give a source to our hope 
that we want to, to, to infuse into our lives as we move forward and build this vision for who we want to be, what we want God to do in our lives, that type of thing. And so the four ideas we're going to be working through are these. One, uh, we're going to take a look at the promise of new creation. New creation. Uh, I know this normally would be back here, so I'm sorry, but just bear with me. Two, we're going to take a look at the promise of perfect relationship. Perfect relationship. Four, we're going to take a look at the promise, or three, I skipped a whole, skipped a whole number there. Three, we're going to take a look at the promise of no sin. No sin. And fourth, we're going to take a look at a promise of full rest. Okay, so we're going to take a look at new creation, perfect relationship, no sin, and full rest. Let's go ahead and jump in and read the first two verses, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, now, as, as we begin, by the way, with a, a weekend full of birthday festivities, if you see me looking down a lot more today, it's because I, I want to make sure I'm not here for an hour with you talking. And so just excuse me. And if you see me start to look up a little bit too much, just give me like a, you know, remind me to look down if I'm being honest. All right. Um, as we begin working through this text, we're coming to the final moments of the Bible. And, and from what we can tell, uh, really the last few moments of God's redemptive plan, uh, when we're really putting the finishing touches uh, on God's perfect plan to save and redeem creation. Uh, we, we get these verses as, as we come to a close of the section right before it that's really kind of known as the apocalypse, right? This is when all the, all the wild stuff is happening. You're reading Revelation. When you were a little kid, you would read it and get chills and be like, well, this is scary, right? So it's kind of coming to the close of that whole section. I see like a bunch of people right now be like, yeah, I did that. I did that, right? Late at night with Revelation as your, as your goosebumps because you were a church kid, right? So, um, so this type of experience and, or this type of thing is what we're closing up, I should say, this type of, uh, of apocalypse visual. And now we find God placing the emphasis on how he is going to make right what had been made wrong all that time ago in the garden. That's what we're looking at right now. Uh, it's through the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21, that we're in in the chapter after this 22, that is starting to bring a resolution to the drama of creation that started in Genesis 1 through 3. If you are interested in learning more about that, I can't go into it all right now, but I have this great chart from a commentary uh, that I was looked at this past week, and, and it actually lays out all the different ways Genesis 1 through 3 and Revelation 21, 22 actually highlight over each other to really reconcile and, and kind of tie the bow on everything started in Genesis 1 through 3. It's really neat. If you, if you want to take a look at it, holler at your boy. Um, but uh, those, all those ideas, right, whether we cover them today or we don't, or you know them in detail, you don't, they, they really culminate uh, in these first two verses uh, as John, the author of Revelation, sees, looks up and sees the new heaven and the new earth descending from God. Uh, and this is really the promise of new creation. Right? That's what this is. When John sees the new heaven and the new earth coming down, this is the, the fully satisfied promise of new creation, that the world would be made new. Here's the thing. Notice what I said there. I said that this world, that our world would be made new. The world. You're like, you mean like, like in a ethereal place called heaven? No, I mean this world. Right? It, it's often easy 
uh, to think of an eternal, ethereal, spiritual heaven. And to look at that place, it's kind of magical and shimmery and not like the world we live in whatsoever. And to say, that's what home is going to be. But here's the thing. The Bible never really invites us to have a vision like that for our eternal home. The Bible never really invites us to think of this world as the scraps and then we get to go some, to magical place that there's like centaurs or something, right? Like you get to go live in Lord of the Rings. You don't, that's not the promise, right? I know that centaurs aren't a Lord of the Rings for any Loader fans that are going crazy right now. All right, so, <laughs> the, yeah, there we go. It invites us to go live in Harry Potter. But the Bible doesn't teach us um, that this world is done away with and we get to go to that place. In fact, the word new that we find here in Revelation 1, in Revelation 21, 1 through 5, uh, in that term new heaven and new earth, is a newness that's meant to communicate value and worth, not, not material, not matter, right? Here's the thing. God doesn't want us to despise the world he created that we live in right now. He wants to restore the value and worth of the world that he created that we live in right now. That's God's desire. And that's even why he says that there will be no more sea, right? That there will be no more sea. Here's the thing. For those of you that love the beach, you're probably reading that part and you're like, what do you mean there will be no more sea? I love the beach. And here, I, I hear you. That's not really what, what this means. It's not saying there won't be any more ocean. It's a play on the cultural use of the word sea for these people, right? The sea in this culture represented chaos, it represented rebellion. It represented fear. It represented the unknown. It, it almost represents the origin and the possibility of sin, if that makes sense, right? That facing the darkness of chaos and the unknown outcomes this distrust of God and a, and a desire to make our own way in the midst of that unknown. And yet, in, in the new creation, that chaos, that rebellion, the fear uh, the, uh, that, that fuels original sin, right, is nowhere to be found. I, I love the way N.T. Wright, he's a, he's a New Testament uh, scholar, dude's brilliant. In his commentary on Revelation, he says it like this. Throughout this book, as in much of the Bible, the sea is the dark force of chaos which threatens God's plans and God's people. It is the element from which the first monster emerged. It is contained in the first heaven, contained, that is, both in the sense that it is there as part of the furniture and in the sense that its boundary is strictly limited. Evil is only allowed to do enough to overreach itself and to bring about its own downfall. But in the new creation, there will be no more sea, no more chaos, no more place from which monsters might again emerge. Right? This new world is transformed, made new, restored. And here's the thing, we live here. That's our destiny, to live in this world. That's why in verse 2, it describes the, the new earth and the new uh, heaven coming down, and it describes this newness as being adorned uh, like a bride for her husband. If you're a Christian, that language should kind of start to ring bells, right? Because we see that type of language describe the church as the bride and Jesus as the groom, except now it's being used for a city. Does that mean the city is the bride? No, it means that there are inhabitants in that city and the inhabitants of that city are God's people. And they who populate the city are adorned as a bride preparing for her husband. This is the world that we, we are destined to live in, friends. This promise of new creation that's extended to us where things are made beautiful and things are made right and justice prevails and there's no more chaos, right? This is what we're promised. 
And friends, for many of us, hear me, this promise reaches the deepest parts of our hearts, the deepest parts of our desires, because maybe you, like me, have been impacted by the injustices of the world, right? Maybe you have felt the tear of abuse or assault or racism, or you've insert whatever your experience has been, right? Maybe you've known the pain of what feels like monsters coming out of the chaos and darkness to attack you, to cause pain, to cause hurt, and to cause fear. Yet here God promises as he looks at us that there will be a day where that is no longer the case. Where it's no longer even a possibility. Where your pain is healed and the perpetrators of sin and evil will be, a done, way, will be done away with forever. In fact, you won't even be able to see them because they won't even be there. Right? He does that. That Jesus promises I'm going to take care of sin and evil like that. Maybe you haven't and let me be clear, maybe you also haven't felt, right, the pain and sting of that type of evil. Maybe you haven't felt that type of oppression or assault, but it's something that you're still passionate about, right? Maybe you're one of the people that look out into the world and you see tragedies still uh, like slavery, but a different type of slavery that prevails across the world today. And you're burdened by that and you hate that and you want to give parts of who you are, your money, your life, your energy to seeing that done away with. Friend, your hope is secure. Your hope is secure because Jesus deeply desires to take those things away as well. In fact, he's proclaimed that he will. You have a good faith there. You have a good hope there, a good desire. And your desire, listen to me, your desire, friend, will be met. It will be satisfied. Jesus will make it right. But to that point, I want to add an asterisk, okay? This doesn't mean that we sit on our hands until that day, right? Matthew 25, Jesus looks at us and says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so we automatically are convicted by Jesus that we don't simply wait for him to come in and make everything new. We participate in the renewal because the way he starts to rid the world of evil is when he starts to rid the world of evil in us. And so we're invited not just to anticipate that day, but to participate in that day. Oh, cool. I want y'all to get the alliteration, all right? Just remember it. He didn't call us to just anticipate that day, but to participate in that day. And so we have hope. He's going to make it right, right? We have something to cling to, but we're called to participate in it. We're given the promise of new creation. And it's here that the rest of the promises start to come streaming out. Because it's in this new creation that we're given the hope of perfect relationship. Right? Take a look at verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Right? When you think about the, the dramatic narrative of, of sin and the fall and redemption, it starts with this moment where no longer is humanity joined in perfect harmony and unity with God. And this begins to build the story of, of humanity's 
existence, right? This, this constant seeking for what's going to satisfy, this constant pursuing of others that without a foundation of what it feels like to be affirmed and loved and, and therefore violating each other because we have already violated our relationship with God. And now in the end, we look and we see that no longer are we separated from God by sin, nor are we only with God in spirit, but now he is again fully with us. This is powerful, friends, because it restores what's lost in God's perfect design for the world. It's humanity's distance from God that leads to the terror in the world. And likewise, now it's humanity's unity with God restored that will lead to the perfect peace that we experience in this new creation. But here's the the other side to this that, that I find so beautifully powerful. It's our lack of relationship with him that also leads to the brokenness we experience in our relationships with others. Okay, I want you to think about something. Even in the garden, which again, Revelation 21, 22 is just is pacing on top of and really filling the holes here. It's when Adam and Eve are in perfect unity with God that they fully trust one another. And the moment that unity is broken, the consequence of their relationship is what? They hide. You've heard this before. There's, no, there's now a distrust understanding that if you could violate and give up the, the most beautiful thing in your life, why could you not violate and give up me? How could you not just turn a, a, the same eye that you turned to someone far more beautiful than me? How could you not just turn it to me? And here in this moment, we see not just the restoration of our relationship with God, but as a result, consequently, the restoration of our relationship with each other. No longer will there be a possibility that you could be violated or hurt by someone else because they no longer have the propensity to do that. They've been reunited with the thing that makes them whole. You're restored now to people in a way that we could never even imagine. And friend, it's with this that we get to look at the reality of the promise that our pain, our hurt, our loneliness now have no place in this new creation. Right? The, the, the effects of what it felt like to be hurt relationally, to feel alone, to feel lonely, now no longer have a place in this new creation because God is with his people and he is our God and we're restored to him and therefore we're restored to one another. What a powerful truth. His presence, friends, ensures us that we'll be whole relationally in perfect relationship. But hear me, his presence, the only way we really have that is by the means of his guarantee that there will be no sin, right? If the only way relationships fracture is when sin is present and now there's a new creation and God is present with his people. We've been reconciled to him. We've been reconciled to one another. I heard a question in a class this week where someone said, how do we know that it's not just going to happen again? And the, the answer is because the assurance becomes there's not going to be any sin. There's not going to be any sin. Look at Revelation 21.4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Friends, the reality of the new creation will be that because there is no sin, because there is no effects of sin, there will be no violation. There will be no pain from relational strife. But hear me, there will also be no more of the effects that sin has caused in the world. And so things like sickness will no longer be present. Things like death will no longer be present. We think about an idea like grief. What is grief? What is grief besides the sorrow response, right, to what we know should not be? 
that I love this person and I was made to love them forever. Even that I love this dog or whatever, right? Like whatever your thing is. And, and the feeling of grief to say, I know that I shouldn't be separated from you, but now I am and I'm overwhelmed by it, right? The, the beauty of this promise in the new creation is that there will be no more of this sin. The relational disunity will be gone, but so will the effects of it. And here's the thing, friend. This is, this is the idea that this promise points to, right? That now suffering and pain are overcome. Suffering and pain are overcome. We currently live in a condition and in a world where when we look at the world and we look into the unknown and the fear of what's coming, we wrestle with the idea that pain is on the horizon. Jesus himself looked at us and said, you will have struggles in this world, troubles. But his words after that, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Right? We live in a condition where we live in fear oftentimes of these struggles and of this pain and of the suffering. Yet we're given the promise here that in the new creation, none of that exists. Because as 1 John 3 says, uh, because when we see him, we will be made like him. That there will come a day when you and everyone you see will be perfectly in God's image. Perfectly in the image of Jesus that you will no longer see pain when you turn on the TV. There will no longer be guilty and victim. There will no longer be perpetrator and victim, but there will only be life source and life source. There will only be generous and generous. There will only be kind and kind. That everywhere you look, it will not be littered with people you fear could violate you, but will be littered with people that you know are seeking to give you life. That's the environment that we're promised in a world with no sin that our suffering has an end date, that our pain has an end date, that our fear of insecurity has an end date, that it will not win, that it has not won. That's the promise we're given in the promise of no sin. And, and this idea goes hand in hand again with the rest of them, right? That, God has made everything new and therefore dwells with his people. And as we see him, we're made perfectly into his image and therefore don't sin. And, and it builds this picture that I think all of us can look at and be like, man, that's what I want. I want that world. But if, but if you're like me, right, if you're like me, then your experience in this life has left you skeptical at best. Maybe skeptically enthusiastic, but still nonetheless with a, a tinge of skepticism running through your enthusiasm. Like I said, I was, I was in a class and this was being taught about, but uh, kind of like a, a peripheral teaching to this. And, and somebody raised their hand and was like, hey, how come this just won't all happen again? This is the type of thing, right? Sitting in a seminar class, looking at the Bible and it's like, how do I know it's not going to happen again? Right? This is... This is how we can sometimes approach these promises, with just that little bit of skepticism in our hearts, a little bit of fear. But that's what makes the next section so incredibly encouraging. Because on top of the promise of what's to come, we have a promise for right now. A promise that echoes throughout the universe because it's given by the creator of the universe. In Revelation 21.5, 
for the first time in almost the whole book, the one sitting on the throne opens his mouth. Several other people have opened their mouths through the course of this book at this point. Jesus has talked. Um, the army of the Lord has talked. Uh, various uh, angels and elders have talked. But here, in the declaration of these beautiful promises in chapter 5, God steps to the center of the stage. And says, the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he looks. I could just picture him looking at the writer and saying, write it down. Write it down. Because these words are faithful and true. That the God of the universe, sovereign above all things, declares, I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to wipe away your tears. I'm going to eliminate grief. What, what once was painful, I'm going to make beautiful. And, and the chaos that seems to reign in the world now, I'm going to do away with. And then assures us, write it down. Let it be declared everywhere from generation to generation. Let it make it from the island of Patmos to the city of Austin to be declared that these words are faithful and true. You can trust them because I've said them. What an amazing, amazing declaration. Fear perishes, friends, when, when these words start to gain root in our heart. Fear perishes when these words start to gain root in our heart. Not because there's nothing scary. Not because the waters are gone yet. Not because the possibility of relational fracturing is gone yet it's all still in front of us you know that i know that but fear has the possibility of leaving because we're assured by the voice of the almighty the words are faithful and true you can bank on them trust me that's the truth that displaces fear but how can he be so sure how can even God be so sure? Well, I mean, he's God. He's sovereign. It's like, you know, this moment where Jesus is like, I want the wind to stop, and the wind's like, I got it. I've heard you. But he's so sure, friend, because of Jesus. Jesus is the means by which God sits on the throne and declares it will all come to pass. Why? Because of my son. Friends, it's Jesus that took on the darkness of the world so that the world could be made new. Friends, it's Jesus that took on our separation from God the Father so that we could be joined with the Father and with each other forever. Jesus took on the suffering and pain of sin's effects so that we could know a world without pain and suffering. And Jesus resurrected in power and glory and victory to assure us that these things are not to be doubted in, but they can be trusted. They're bought with his blood and they're proven with his victory and resurrection. They can be trusted. What good news we have in the truth that Jesus has made this possible and he's secured it forever. We don't have to doubt what God is doing. It's secure in him. Friends, uh, today, I, we don't just stand on foundationless hope when we look at these words. 
right? We stand on the truth that every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus. That's what we stand on. We stand on the truth that because of what Jesus has done, these promises are ours. They're not fleeting. They're written down for all to hear and all to say because they're, they're yes and amen in the work of Jesus. I want to conclude this time by asking you a couple of questions. And the aim of the questions is not to shame you. The aim of the questions is not to embarrass you. You, you ain't even answering publicly, so you can't be embarrassed. The aim of the question is simply to help you take these ideas and think critically about whether you're using them, what you're doing with them, to help you apply them. And here's the first one. It's just two, but the first one is this. On what foundation are you building the hopes you have for your life? That's all I want you to think about. On what foundations are you building the hopes you have for your life? Let me ask you, if your relational reconciliation, friend, is absent of what it means for people to be reconciled to God, then your relational reconciliation has no foundation. If your thoughts of your affirmation and joy and you living with this sense of freedom is not rooted in the foundation that through Jesus we have now been accepted and adopted as sons and daughters to inherit the promise of inheritance from God our Father, then your idea and hope of affirmation and acceptance and wholeness doesn't have a foundation. On what foundation are you building the hopes you have for your life, because the joy that we have here is that we have a firm foundation, right? It doesn't mean that because it's not built on those, you can never have those. The joy then becomes that because of what Jesus has done, they're also freely offered to you, that the foundation is given to you through the work of another, that we just now freely receive out of grace, repentance, and faith. On what foundation are you building the hopes you have for your life? Now, the second one is like it. What are some promises of God that you're building on right now for your life? Right? What are some promises of God that you're building on? You could take off the life part, right? What are some promises of God that you're building on? What are some promises that you're building your identity on? Building your hopes on? Building your confidence on? Building your peace on? Building your satisfaction for life on? Friends, let me be honest. When I don't remember and build my appetite for anything on control, security, power, influence, status, instead of on the promise that God provides, has provided, and will provide, I go rogue. I go rogue. I start to pursue things that I know good and darn well ain't going to satisfy, but, but I'm building on shaky foundations. If I go rogue... I want you to probably agree with me. You probably go rogue too. If we were just leveling with each other, when you can tell what I'm building on isn't this foundation, you can probably agree with me. Yeah, I'm pretty rogue. Some, some of us might be rogue right now. Some of us might be in this place today fully understanding the hopes I have for my life are not being built on promises that God has given me. Friend, that's okay. It's not okay to stay there. But it's okay because God is grace, graceful, gracious. He's also graceful too. Gracious. And in the invitation that he gives us through the good news of Jesus. 
when we're reminded of the sweet promises of God that are now ours in Jesus, friends, our hearts submit. Our hearts return to the Father, right, in humility and in love. Hey, I, I want to just pray for us that, um, that these ideas, right, God's promises, that they don't fail, that his love, his desire, his plan to redeem the world and to redeem our lives, uh, that that reality is not going to fail, that, that your failures are not the final say, and that your sickness, your suffering aren't the final word, that your loneliness isn't the end of you. I hope that these realities, right, bring hope to us, right, that they encourage us. When we walk out as we challenge or challenge us to say by, by the rest of the day, maybe the rest of the week, maybe the rest of the year, uh, if it doesn't go according to the vision we make for ourselves, that, that they will be truths that we can fall back on and find rest in. And I pray it empowers us in addition to begin to, to craft a vision for our lives this year and every year that is marked by the hope we have in Jesus. Okay, let's go ahead and pray and finish up. Father, thank you so much for the promises that we receive because of your son. Father, thank you that uh, we don't live in a world uh, where in which what we see is the final reality that we have to endure. Uh, Father, we, we live in a world that is marked, yes, by pain, by suffering, but is now because of your hand at work interceding on behalf of your creation is now also marked by your love and by your plan and your redemption and your grace and your mercy. Father, help us fall uh, into your arms and experience those things today. For those of us that, that understand we're not building on the right foundation right now, Father, lead us to, to your feet in repentance, but also in faith and in hope that what you provide is, is not a blip on the radar. It, it, it's not passing it's not fleeting it's it's for us right now and for eternity out of the depth of your love for us and in the areas where we are actually building on the promises that you've given us continue to insulate our hope with the good news of Jesus the moments that we begin to feel like these promises aren't for us the moments we begin to feel like it's too good to be true the moments we begin to think that these are not attainable in our lifetime let us raise our gaze to the man on the cross who declares that they're ours because of what he's done not because of what we've done Glorify your son in our hearts as we rejoice in the hope we have, not based on what we see and not based on what we've done, but based on who you are and the work you've accomplished through Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.